Fathers, we stand on the cusp of not only a new year, but a new decade. We just ask, God, that you would show us the desires of your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Good morning. A hole. Or a dot. A whole hole. Morning, Jim. Good morning, everybody. I pray you had a great holiday, good Christmas season, but now it's time to get back at it. And on the way over here this morning, my wife and I, as we were driving to church, I noticed there was some guy out jogging. This guy needed to jog. He needs to keep jogging and not stopping. And I know what he did. He, he made a New Year's resolution more than likely. He probably made an evaluation based upon the mirror and just kind of the shape that he was in. And he decided to go and to do something about it. Well, God impressed upon my heart to do a series. A series is going to be an overview of the book of Acts. And really what I want to do is, is crack open our church, if you will, and to see see what's inside and see if that lines up with the Lord and what the Lord desires. Now we're told in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And so I want to crack open Calvary Chapel, Ontario, using the book of Acts as our lead so that we can know we would understand Are we truly a church that acts like acts? And that's what I've entitled this series, A Church That Acts Like Acts. We're probably going to do a six-part series on this. We finished our study through the book of 1 John a couple of weeks ago before Christmas, and I just think it's a good time that we would examine ourselves. Should we be continuing on? What does God have for us? Are we doing what God desires of us? And so... These things, we have to be honest with ourselves, we have to know. Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't just the church, this is the church. This is all of us as a group of individuals. If you're part of this church, nobody is going to be beyond these things. We need to come together as a team. We need to evaluate ourselves as a group of individuals so that collectively we would be all that the Lord would have us be. And it happened about eight years ago. About eight years ago, if you recall, remember the guy Jack Kevorkian? He passed away. He passed away at the age of 82. Now, most of you remember his name because he participated in a number of assisted suicides. And as man tends to do in such situations, at some point he stepped over the line of assisted and he actually flat out killed a person. Euthanasia, he said that this was a natural direction that an enlightened society would go. Problem with his passing is we could use his services today in some of the churches that exist. Some of the churches that exist today need to be put out of their misery. Now, it's easy to stay up here, stand up here, and to point at other churches, but do we need a Jack Kevorkian for our church? I mean, we're always at a crossroads. There's always going to be opposition, so opposition means nothing. 
I'm in um, negotiations finally with our landlord. Rents are going way up, but God's not broke, as my wife constantly reminds me, and it's so true. And so as far as these oppositions and all of these things that we can use as excuses, these things are just realities that have always been in the church. And so what about our attitude? What about our heart? See, there's a problem within the church today that most have even died and nobody has just filled them in. And so we need to understand what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, because I believe that we are living in the end times. Now that's all relative. Jesus could wait another hundred years for all we know, or even longer, but nonetheless, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, when he spoke of the angel to the church, this is not, as we would think, a heavenly angel. Angel can also be translated messenger. More than likely, it's the pastor. It's the one who is responsible. To the one who's responsible to the church at Sardis, right? These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That would be the Lord. I know your works. He knows what we do, and he knows why we do it. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. <laughs> that would be a horrible thing. Pastor Mike, Jesus is on the phone and he wants to talk to you. Hey, hey Mike, how you doing? And, well, Lord, hey, I just wanted to let you know that your church, maybe you're unaware of it, but it died about five years ago. Just put it out of its misery and move on. And so we've got to check these things to make sure that we're not just playing church. We're not just Calvary Country Club here, a place that we come and revisit our high school and the clubs and the cliques that we have back then, that we are a cohesive force moving forward to the glory of God and what God desires to do, understanding that there's sinners out there that are going to hell. And most people are more concerned about programs or what kind of worship is there or whatever than the souls of men and women. And so we've got to be inspired to, to achieve that, that, that purpose and, and the reasons that God has for us to exist as a, as a church. So what I hope to find out in the next couple of weeks, again, six weeks, as we review God's standard for what a living church is, a church that has not yet flatlined, well, we need to use this example because Acts was given to us, and really it's the Acts of the Apostles through the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostles are just simply one sent with a message. We've been given a message, and we've been told to go out and to make disciples as well, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us for that purpose. Again, a little bit further down, well, in the next verse in Revelation chapter 3, that same pastor was told to be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, he says, that are ready to die. Look, look at the things that remain. Look at the things that you're doing well. If you keep going, they're going to be snuffed out. But with God, there's always second chances. Jesus said, hey, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. If you make the evaluation and changes necessary, then I'll set you back in a good way if you're willing to go. If you're willing to pick up and to start over according to the course that I have set before you. And so, first of all, what we need to know is we're going into the book of Acts. And again, this is going to be an overview of the book of Acts. We are not going to go verse by verse. So, first of all, we need to understand that the title is not the book of leisure. And many churches have become the churches of leisure. It's not the book of comfort or procrastination. 
It's the book of Acts. It's the book of actions. It's the book of that which we need to be burning these spiritual calories that we are consuming on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or on our midweek, and to, to do these things out into the world, to expend that energy out into the world. John Stott suggested that the title of this book should be the continuing works and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his people. It has been suggested that this is the only book of the Bible that has really yet to be completed. Matter of fact, when I put my title on my notes and sent my notes in, I put Acts 29. If you turn to the end, you'll notice there's only 28 chapters, but that last chapter is still being written, and you are part of that. The church age from that time at the end of 28 is still all the way through until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least the rapture of the church. And so again, my purpose is going to be evaluation, evaluating myself as a pastor without a doubt, as a member of this church, as a child of God, and I pray that you would do the same. Am I truly a person? Am I part of a church is this church acting like Acts as much as it depends upon me? Now, looking at myself as the pastor, I can't force you to do anything. I can't lead you anywhere you're not willing to go. And the thing you need to consider is, are you willing to go in the direction that God has set before us? And so, first on the list, the church that acts like Acts is evangelical. It is God's intent that every born-again believer would be a worldwide evangelist. Now, we so consider, well, I'm not Greg Laurie, I'm not Billy Graham. It was neat. My wife posted something on Facebook. If you're her friend, if you're not her friend, that means she doesn't like you. But if you are her friend, she, she had this huge crowd in Times Square. I mean, there was, I don't know how many people, but there was a lot. And this was in 1957. It was during the Billy Graham crusade. And it was just a neat thing. What a neat thing to be able to preach the gospel to that many people. I'll probably never have that opportunity, and you'll probably never have that opportunity. But I will have opportunity, and you will have opportunity as well. And we need to make the most of it. And the opportunities we take will make global impact. Because somewhere along the line, somebody preached the word to Billy Graham. And before that, somebody preached the word to the person who preached the word to Billy Graham, and so on and so forth. And, and, and they didn't have worldwide ministries. I, they're, they're, their names are known, and I don't even remember, but it just started with some small church pastor that just did what God had told them to do. And that guy was all part of the process. As Billy Graham is preaching to the multitudes, that, that pastor, although he was probably even dead at that time, had a part in that. And we have a part in the future generations. Because as we looked at our, our study on prophecy and we looked at end-time events, there's going to come a time when I, looking at myself, and you as well, I'm either going to be raptured or I'm going to die. One of the two, at one day, is going to happen. And I'll be gone. We'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But the thing that is going to remain is our witness for Jesus Christ. The things that we have spoken of of the Word of God are the things that will continue to go forward. The people that we have trained up and the way that they should go. Our children that we have ministered to. Or maybe somebody that we just sat across from a coffee table and just had discussions on the Bible, the Word of God, or in our small group, or wherever it might be. Those are the things that are going to continue on. And so, 
a Christian who exercises their God-given spiritual gifting is to have global impact. I don't care what it is that you do. It is going to have global and eternal ramifications. We have people at this church who come in. I was going to say mow. We don't mow, but we do vacuum the floor or, or, or clean toys or whatever. You know, and I just talk about that because that's kind of what you know, most people look at the bottom of the barrel, but it's not. Everything works together for the good of God is for the purpose of getting the word out, training people up to go forth and to make, uh, make, uh, make disciples. Well, pastor, I'm just not an evangelist. Well, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So a ministry is never fulfilled unless you're doing the work of an evangelist. What is an evangelist? An evangelist is just somebody that cries out the word of God. That's literally what an evangelist does. Now, if you're a vacuumer, are you praying for the people that walk on the carpets that come in here to hear the word of God? If you're mopping a floor, do you pray about those people? If you're passing out donuts, do you pray for those people? It's all about every member doing their little part, but it accumulates in a great work that God does. Because every ministry, every church that acts like Acts should be one that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, what I want to see is here, as far as a church that acts like Acts is evangelical, is the commission that Christ has given to the churches. Now, in the New Testament, there are five versions of the Great Commission, each with a different perspective. Now, there were people that heard those things or were told of those things, and this is how they perceive them, and I believe that this is through the Holy Spirit so that we would see how multifaceted the Great Commission truly is. First occurrence of the Great Commission is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 19. Jesus came and spoke to them, his apostles, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so he's saying here, because of that, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the perspective here is Christ who has the authority to issue the order. If you're just walking down the street and a complete stranger comes up and gives you an order, you'll probably just blow him off. If your kid comes up to you and gives you an order, you'll probably send him to his room. But the one who has the authority, when the authority figure gives the order, you listen. When my father told me to do something, I did it. If I didn't do it, there was going to be repercussions. And there were plenty of repercussions to understand that they were going to come. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, and he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The perspective here is there is a final judgment coming. All will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As far as the context for the church, it's to receive our rewards. As far as the unbeliever, Revelation chapter 20, to receive their final condemnation. And so there is, because there is going to be a final judgment, regardless of what you hear, well, my God would never send anybody to hell. Well, then you have fostered a false God in your own mind because the word of God says that it is going to happen. 
And so that needs to be a motivation of ours because people are perishing. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 47, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Perspective there is the fulfillment of prophecy. And probably the greatest prophet that we have, because Jesus said so, was John the Baptist, who had the privilege of ushering in Messiah. He was preaching a doctrine, preparing the way for the Lord, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The understanding that I am a sinner, and because of that, I need to be sorry for my sins. I need to stop doing these things. I need to head in a different direction but I can't achieve that by myself, and so I must receive, or when you hear receive, think of believe, I must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who when I acknowledge and repent is faithful to forgive and then enable me to move on. He's the one who humanity, all of humanity, so desperately needs, and so it's Jesus Christ we preach. We preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In John chapter 20, verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now the perspective here is, our orders are reflective of the Lord's. We are to love sacrificially. We are to die to self for the benefit of others, and we are to illuminate the reality of who the Father is through the word of God. And so as we are doing these things, we are fulfilling the commission that God has given us. There's one more, and it's here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's going to happen when that happens? And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The perspective here is worldwide evangelism. Going forth and preaching the word. You don't need to be Greg Glory, and you don't need to be Billy Graham. You just need to be who you are. That's all God desires for you to be is who he has created you and recreated you and enabled you to be. Your testimony, God wants to use that. And you may not think much of it, but there are people unsaved who have the same testimony and you're able to convey what God has done in your life that they would know what God is able to do in their life. Nobody can deny your testimony. What has happened in your life is a reality and it is to be an effective tool in your hands. Key verses to this book is the one I just read, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, until the end of the earth. But also in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved and the idea there is God looked upon that church and said I'll bring people to be saved there that's a church that is acting like acts I'll give I'll bring people there to grow and to be discipled because that's a church that acts like acts 
Secondly, a church that acts like Acts is to wait upon the Lord. That was the Lord's departing order to the apostles. Look at verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you have heard from me. Now this wait is to be an active wait. If you look at verse 14, these all continued with one accord, and so they were going to church, they were gathering together in prayer, they were spending time in prayer, and supplication, they were lifting one another up. And so their weight we see here was fourfold. They followed through in fellowship. Again, everybody that comes to this church, a born-again believer, you have something to give to that church. And we want what God has to give to this church through you. It's needed and it's necessary. Don't sell. If you sell yourself short, well, what can I do? What can I offer? If you sell yourself short, in actuality, what you're doing is you're selling God short. Because if you're a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you who will empower you for that work of ministry. And so we gather together, like-minded people, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. If this is truly your church, then dig into the church and become part of the fabric of the body of Christ. Help support one another, or it's just as important that you be supported by the body when it's necessary that support be given to you, emotionally, financially, physically, whatever that support may be. And so there's always got to be give and take in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, if you're not there, if you're not part of it, then you're not going to receive, and just as importantly, you're not going to be able to give as well. They were persistent in prayer. A lot is going on that they don't fully understand during that time. There's a lot that's going on today that we don't fully understand. But what we see them doing is they're praying together. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting, just to continue to lift up the church in prayer, lift up the individuals in prayer, themselves in prayer, just to pray and to keep on praying without ever ceasing. They continued in supplications. A lot is going on, again, that they don't fully understand. And so they petitioned for the needs of one another. There were plenty of needs back then. Think of them living in Jerusalem with these Jews who just crucified Christ. And as their come, people are coming into this relationship with Christ, men are losing jobs. Women who would get saved back then, if they had a, a husband who was a Jew, he could very well disown you and divorce you for that. And women were left very vulnerable during that time. And that's why we see them in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, them coming together, selling possessions, and, and, and supporting the work that God is doing. And now, we as a church, I mentioned this on Thursday, we've always been able to support, it's been a blessing, we've always been able to support people who have had a legitimate need. Not always giving them exactly what they want, but definitely the things that they need. And so God uses the church, uses the body, I mean, just, just think, if we had unlimited funds, the work that we could do. I mean, we've had women that have become widows in here to be able to house and to support widows, to be able to bring children who, who, who are without a father or without a mother or who are struggling, and, and to be able to, to, to bring them into the fold of the church. And rather being exposed to hypocrisy that exists within the church, they'd see the legitimacy 
of the church, of the body of Christ, and to be able to reach even further outside of the walls, to have the resources to do that as a church is getting together and a church that is acting like Acts, those things are possible. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And just as important what they did, or maybe even more important, I, I would imagine they're all the same, but they continued waiting. Now, their wait, as I said, is an active wait, and specifically, they were waiting in the word. And the best example is seen in the apostle Peter. Look over at verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, now remember, a disciple is not an, or, uh, an apostle is a disciple, but a disciple is not necessarily an apostle. So there were the apostles, but there were other disciples or learners there. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akil Damah, that is field of blood. So what's Peter doing during this time? Peter, I want you to go and wait. And so Peter is going to wait until he receives the promise. We'll see what that is in a little bit. And Peter's wait is an active wait. We saw some of the things they were doing. They were gathering together and they were praying and asking supplications for uh, the brethren and all. But Peter was also checking out the word of God because he understood if Jesus is truly Messiah, which he is, then the Old Testament scriptures would be pointing to the events that they just had experienced. And Peter pretty much had a front row to the majority of the events. And so, well, what about Judas? And so he, he looked up and he saw, well, the Old Testaments do speak of this man who is going to betray the Messiah. And so what Peter is doing is he's waiting, but he's waiting in the word. Sometimes when you ask God, God, what do you want of me? God, what is your desire in my life? You just say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, eh? No, don't worry about it. I just want you to prepare because you're ill-prepared right now. Now think of the magnitude or the necessity of preparation. Even Jesus studied the word of God. As a young boy, he studied the scriptures. He was taught and trained by his parents. And so if it was necessary for the Lord, how much more is it necessary for us all? So that we would be prepared when God calls. I know in my life there was a time when I didn't know what God has, but it was clear as day that he wanted me to be prepared when he revealed what he desired for me in my life. And so every opportunity, I prepared to be used by God. So when given a time of waiting and wondering what's going on, spend it studying and preparing. If you don't know what God has for you, continue to study and to continue to prepare for the work that God has set before you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, it's the same advice Paul gave Timothy. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Who's a shameful worker? Well, one who does not rightly divide the word, but I think even so much more, one who when it's time to go forth and do their ministry is ill-prepared to do that ministry. What if we sent an army off to war? Well, we did during um, the Civil War. 
We had an army, but it was ill-prepared for battle. The south was at the doorstep of the nation's capital, and we sent first Manassas. We sent our, our, our army out to do battle against the south, and after a little bit, a lot of them got killed, and the rest came running back. They were ill-prepared. How prepared are we to go forth and to make disciples? Do you know the gospel, understand the gospel, assuming you've received of the gospel? Do you have the gospel hidden within your heart, able to share it in a short, concise way? If an unbeliever came into your life, you went to a restaurant after church today, sat down, and somebody came up to your table and said, what must I do to be saved? Are you able to tell them? Are you able to lay that out before them? Again, just a little five-minute thing. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need worship first and then, you know, all the other stuff. You don't need ushers. Just need to be able to share the gospel. Somebody that's able to do that is prepared for the work that God has for them. Now we come to the just of the book of Acts. A church that acts like Acts is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that you are filled with will influence you. If you are filled with anger, then anger is going to influence your emotions and your actions. If you are filled with alcohol, then alcohol is going to, uh, it's going to motivate you in your speech, your actions, and your emotions as well. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will guide you also. And so everything that has occurred in the Bible so far, up to Acts chapter, well, we'll say Acts chapter 2, because that's where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Everything that has occurred in the Bible so far has been leading up to that point. Leading up to that point. Now, again, the great theme of the Bible is the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as much as his disciples are concerned, this is the moment. This is the point of miracles. This is the point of that which is miraculous. Mankind, as he is filled with the Spirit for God's reasons and God's purpose. Everything that will follow forward from this point will be built upon what occurred in the upper room in chapter 2. So before the event, the disciples, again, verse 4, chapter 1, what were they commanded to do? They were commanded to wait. We saw that their wait was to be an active wait. They were talking to God. They were talking to God about one another. They were talking to one another. They were of one accord, and they were listening to God through his word. After the event, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the apostles, the waiting was over. Then it was time to go. And so anybody that is filled with the Holy Spirit, we wait until that so that we would be filled with God who has empowered us to, for the purpose of going. Now your going might be just next door. Your going might just be across the street. It may be at your local school, maybe in the workplace, wherever it might be. You know, we, we talk about missions. Keep in mind, one of the richest missions field is in Ontario. I mean, how many people are saved in Ontario? I don't know, but I know there's more people not at church today than are at church today or wherever your city is. God has called us to those rich, fertile fields. I have in my notes here just a question. Do you know what a nitwit is? It's a compound word. Nit means not. Wit means knowledgeable. So a nitwit would be somebody without knowledge. Well, through this explosive power that God gives us, we are to be witnesses. Wit, again, knowledgeable. And nis, a condition or state or quality. 
We are to be knowledgeable persons. We are to be with knowledge. Nitwit is somebody without knowledge. A witness is somebody that has knowledge in that state. They're a state of knowledge. So you should be of a state of knowing who Jesus Christ is. You should be of that state of mind as I've sat after Bible study, after Bible study, with the mindset, I am prepared to go forth and make disciples. I don't know if you have the passion to do that, but you should be prepared for that purpose that God has. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to become witnesses. Now again, the Holy Spirit is not the power of God. He's a person of the Godhead. We're not going to get into the Trinity today. So what does that make him? That makes him God who empowers. And so as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, he does so for specific purposes that we'll be looking at in just a minute. Now we're told these people who were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too, to Thessalonica. So they were going throughout the known world and they were just turning things upside down. They were exposing sin and showing people the necessity of getting right with Jesus Christ. In Psalm 146, verse 9, the Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. We should be turning our city upside down. Well, really, it needs to start at the beginning. You should be turned upside down. You should come to, again, the realization that you're a sinner and, again, come to Christ through belief. Your world has been completely turned upside down. That which used to be high priority is now low priority. That which was low priority should become a higher priority, being the Lord. And it's through that that we need to change our homes upside down. New perspective, not the world's perspective, but God's perspective. We need to change their spheres of influence, whatever they may be, upside down. And so they were called, but the first thing needed to be, and this term can be used in many ways, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism simply means immersion of the Holy Spirit or the coming upon of them by the Holy Spirit. In verses 1, 4 through 5 again, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized or immersed completely with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, we've seen in past studies, and I'll go through this once again. Every person that is sitting in this room, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're born again. Well, I do care, but it doesn't matter if you're born again or not born again. Everybody in this room has experienced the Holy Spirit one of three ways, two of three ways, or three of three ways. The first way to experience the Holy Spirit is the way that all of mankind experiences him. Now, this is called the para-experience of the Holy Spirit. Para, P-A-R-A, that's a Greek preposition. That means with, and parakletos means helper who is with us. And so para means Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit is with all of humanity. We see this ministry spelled out in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Verse, and, and it also it, it lends to how we see we are being used, the born-again believers being used as well. But John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, Jesus told them he was going to send a helper. Well, here's a description of the helper's ministry. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and that word is translated parakletos, the helper who is with us, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, when he has come to, who is he speaking to? The apostles or the pictures of the church? He will convict the world. And so why does the Holy Spirit come? He comes to empower us for the purpose of conviction of the world. What is he convicting them of? He's convicting the world of sin because they have to know their sins because they're, they're not going to repent unless they know that they're a sinner. And of righteousness, that they understand there's the existence of God. And of judgment, that they know that all of humanity at some point is going to have to stand before a holy God and give an account of themselves. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. A lot of times before we start service in my opening prayer, I'll pray that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, enable me to speak your word. This is how the Holy Spirit works through a person preaching God's word or doing what God has called them to do. And just as I'm filled with the Spirit, you can be filled with the Spirit as well. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, and you can plug in the gospel there, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, again the gospel, and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now, how did the Holy Spirit declare the gospel to you? I'm sure he did so through somebody that came into your life. A person that was filled with the Holy Spirit that either sat down with you or maybe it was a person behind a pulpit that was filled with the Holy Spirit that spoke the word of God to you. And you came to the realization of the sinner that you were. You tried to ignore it all your life, but it was brought to light through the inspired teaching of the Word of God or the inspired sharing of the Word of God, if you will. And you realized that which you tried to ignore once again, that there is a holy God. And through the Word of God, as it was preached, you realized certain dynamics of the holy God. You understood that although he's Savior, he's also going to be judge, and it's up to you to determine which way that's going to go because you were convicted of judgment as well. You knew that if you continued on as you were, that you were going to stand before God in absolute horror, absolute terror. And so the Holy Spirit, he did his work. This is the para-experience of the Holy Spirit. All unbelievers will stop at this experience of the Holy Spirit. The second way that you are able to experience the Holy Spirit is at the moment of belief. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Now this is what happens at the moment of salvation. So I've experienced the Holy Spirit as he has worked through the gospel, as somebody has preached it to me, fulfilled the Great Commission. And I was convicted, but I repented And I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. At that very moment, we now have another experience of the Holy Spirit. This is the Greek preposition in. That's en, but it means the same thing as our in. This is the Holy Spirit who now dwells inside of me. Verse 13. 
in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I've been given a guarantee until I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is God's divine endorsement. The idea is taken from back then, but it works today as well, how a binding contract would be sealed. It would be signed by all parties. It would be stamped by a signet ring. It would be sealed, and a copy would be given to both parties. It's where we get the expression signed, sealed, and delivered. And so you are the Lord's contract, a picture of that to all of mankind. You've been signed by the Word of God. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you have been delivered from eternal death. And so you have been signed, sealed, and delivered. Only those who are born again experience the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the experience of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. This is how I know that I'm saved. This is how I can say that I am truly born again. Now, how, how do you know that you're really, how do you know that the Holy Spirit is really dwelling inside of you? Number one, I repented and believed, and the Bible says that that's what's going to happen, so I'll believe that. Number two, it's because the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me, I have a different perspective on life. I, I see people, I look at football games, and I see 80,000 people there, and I'm wondering, I wonder how many of those people are truly saved. We just heard of a death of a loved one, a, an aunt of my wife's, not by relationship, but as she says, by love. Uh, was a neighbor back in Oklahoma, heard of her death, and she has an excitement about it because she knows that that woman is saved. We just did a funeral for Josie, Linda and, and Jim's uh, mother, and, and we have an excitement about that because she's saved. You know, apart from the Holy Spirit, that would be a time of desperate mourning but it's the great hope that we have with inside of us. The knowledge of the truthfulness of the Word of God and the belief in it. It's because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. And, and to be motivated to do that, which I never would do, it still blows my mind that I'm up here. Whatever blows my mind even more is that you guys show up every Sunday. But hey, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, and we need to see that. As you've been able to do stuff that is spiritually beyond you, that's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. In Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And if you're saved, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Then we have the third experience of the Holy Spirit, and this would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the Greek preposition, the epi, E-P-I, experience of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to you in an unsafe state. You became born again. As you became born again, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of you. And then one day, and this is how it happened to me, you realize that, well, if I'm going to do the work of ministry, I can't do it in my own power. That's why Jesus told them, don't go and do anything. Just go and wait until Acts chapter 2. Now, these people were already saved. They already had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, but they needed what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be under the influence or filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit to come upon them, just terms to describe what, what this experience truly is. And remember, Jesus told them just before he left in verse 8, but you shall, this is a future event, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So this is a future event that is going to happen. 
He already breathed on them and told them to receive of the Holy Spirit. Now that would be the Holy Spirit at salvation, but now this is the Holy Spirit that empowers us for ministry. The Holy Spirit that overcomes our flesh and we are able to do things beyond our ability. The pattern was set. Jesus Christ, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit alighted upon him or came upon him like a dove. They, then the apostles, they, they experienced that, they saw that, and now we see that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and their ministry is to be an example. They were ill-prepared. Peter's probably the poster child for this. The apostle Peter, he was always saying silly things. Uh, I'm guilty of it, as many pastors, making fun of the apostle Peter, but none of us are any better apart from the Spirit. But then in Acts chapter 2, well, even before that, Acts chapter 1, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, so he was prepared so that when Acts chapter 2 came, when the filling of the Holy Spirit came, Peter was well prepared. The Spirit came upon him, and many things happened. So, back in Acts chapter 1, we're told in verses 4 through 5 to wait. And then we saw in verses 14 through 20 that it is to be an active wait, that we are to be preparing ourselves. But then came this day in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And so that's how they were waiting. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utter, uh, utterance. And so we had these amazing things. Pastor Mike, I've never seen a tongue of fire in the building. I don't have the gift of tongues. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, a lot of the things, I'm not saying these things don't happen anymore, but a lot of these things, these outward expression of these things, was because these things were new things, so that they would know that something supernatural has been going on. We have something better. We have the more sure word of God. And so, Jesus said, wait. So they were obedient. They went and they wait, but their wait was an active wait. What were they waiting for? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now has come upon them. And so, we need to check this out. Is this as Jesus said it would be? So remember, John 16, 14, he, the Spirit, this helper, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Then if you look at chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, what is Peter doing? Peter is taking what is Jesus's. Peter is taking the gospel, and he is delivering the gospel. Now, when they heard this, verse 37, chapter 2, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, or they were convicted. They, came, they were convicted of themselves as being sinners and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You're included in that last part. And so, again, what we see is this man is filled with the Spirit. And what is the Spirit doing through the Apostle Peter? Taking what is Jesus's, taking the gospel and declaring it to unbelievers. That was that first experience of the Holy Spirit. And so... 
These are amazing things that are happening, but what is the result? Well, in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, however many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Before that, there were 3,000 that were saved. Again, this is the beginning, and God's doing this huge work. So Peter, this man who was almost a joke, you're kind of thinking, Lord, you messed up when you chose him because the church is going to be based upon him. There's going to be problems. What Jesus would tell you, the church was never based upon Peter. But I take people like Peter and people like you, and I'll fill them with, your spirit, or with my spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, then they're going to be able to do things that are beyond their ability. So when you sit there and you hear of something in the bulletin or whatever, and you think, well, I can never do that, you're not selling yourself short. You're selling God short. Because everything we do, we must do under the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to vacuum carpets for the glory of God, you must do so under the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I can vacuum carpets and get clean according to my own ability. It's not about getting clean carpets. I care less about clean carpets. I want carpets that minister to people. I want carpets that will open the hearts of people so that they're able to receive the Word of God or clean bathrooms that they're not going to go in there and get sick and run off. They're going to see something that's decent and it's going to open their hearts. And children's ministry, it's going to open their hearts. Whatever the ministry is, it's going to open their hearts to the Word of God. And if we never see them again, that's okay as long as they continue on in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it's about. And it says every member does his part. Every member is filled with the Spirit and does his part. It's then that we see God doing great things. So what we have here is the work of the Holy Spirit, this endless circle that has been going on for some 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit working through the church, witnessing as the church witnesses the Word of God. People hearing it and are transformed, they're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Holy Spirit then filling those people and continuing on to the next generation. Keep in mind, this witness that is here is not fueled by money. It's not about money. It's not about the government. You can't elect official that is going to start revival. I think the church has kind of become lazy in this political thing. We think if we get a Christian in office that we're going to see people saved, and that's just not true. You see people saved when you speak God's word. It's not about signs and wonders because there are deceiving signs and wonders. It's not about more programs or the such or built upon any man, but God who will empower us to do these things. And we need to notice that we can never sell God short because this is truly a worldwide ministry. You are able and you have had an effect uh, to ministries on the other side of the world. Because you recognize the Spirit here, because you give, we, we support missionaries. We support missionaries in Indonesia. We support ministry, uh, um, missionaries in India and Nepal. Because of your giving, there is a, and, and I'm going to, I keep planning on doing this, and it keeps getting past me, but we are going, I'm going to show you the pictures. There's a water pump in a remote city of Nepal that says donated by Calvary Chapel, Ontario and plan on doing more in, in the year to come if you support the work that is here. Can you imagine that? These people who had to go miles, I don't know how far, but miles to get clean water now are able to have clean water. And I don't know if they understand the plaque and what it says. It doesn't matter. That's not important. I just want them to know that God provided it. God provided what was necessary for them. And it's a witness. And you have had impact in Nepal. Can you imagine that? Just because maybe you put a buck or two in the goppy box or whatever you do, 
because you're obedient to what God has told you to give to the church, the church is able to reach out, and we're able to reach out across the world. This little old us. I, I got an offering today from somebody in, Lu or not today, but a couple of days ago, from somebody in Louisiana who watches our church online. And, and it just amazes me that we're, you know, with this technology, we stream our services on Facebook. There's people all over the world. If you're watching service now, type in there where you're watching from. That'd be interesting to know. But again, it's a worldwide ministry. Do not, you know, it's not great Mike, great church. It's great God. It's all about what God is doing and God continues to do. Are we a church like Acts, a church that acts like Acts? Well, a church that acts like Acts is evangelical. It's willing, uh, it's willing to wait, wait together, and it is filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be adding to this list greatly in the next six weeks to come. But we need every one of us to make an evaluation of ourselves and then the church collectively. Are we truly a church that acts like acts? Pastor Mike, I want to be a church that acts like acts. I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you become filled? with? The, we, we saw the first experience of the Holy Spirit, the power experience of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just the Holy Spirit as the gospel is taught. There's the end experience of the Holy Spirit. You have that when you're born again, that you're stamped as God's. You're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But what about that last epi experience of the Holy Spirit? How do you become filled with the Holy Spirit? There was a man in Acts that wanted to pay some money in order to get that, and Peter used some very strong language against him. How do you become filled with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will the Father in heaven give the Spirit to he who asks? You just simply need to ask. You need to pray to the Lord and ask that he would fill you with, your spirit, with his Spirit. You don't want to be filled with your Spirit anymore. To be filled with his Spirit. And I guarantee you see great things happen. I was at a pastor's conference. I wasn't a pastor at the time. Uh, pastor David said, hey, if any of the leadership wants to go to this pastor's conference down in Vista, you can come, but it's during the week, and you'd have to take, I'd have to take time off from work. Well, God, <laughs> I was a contractor at the time, and he cut off all my work, so I didn't have anything to do anyway. So I went down there, because I felt the call. I felt the call to ministry. I still didn't know what. And I remember sitting there, and the teacher gave a similar study to what I gave about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget that time. It was September of 1994. And that was the time that I stood up and I asked God that he would fill me with his spirit. There were no bells and whistles. There were no angels singing the hallelujah chorus or anything like that. There was no dove that came down and landed on my head. But there was a change that came about in my life. It's a slow but sure work that God does. And God will do that slow but sure work in your life if you just simply ask. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for this time that you have given us and these realities that you have shown us in your word. And I pray, Father, that everybody in this building would take these things to heart, that we would realize, Lord, just the things that you want to do, but how, Lord, you want to achieve them. And, Lord, you achieve them by brothers and sisters who are simply filled with the Spirit, not educated, not able in their own abilities, not going to seminary, but just have a desire to honor God through a life that is lived in obedience. And so, Father, you said that you fill those who just simply ask with your, 
asked to have the Spirit coming upon them or being filled with the Spirit, that you will do so. And so I'm going to give an opportunity as eyes are closed and heads are bowed. If you've yet to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. And in this opportunity also lies a witness. A witness to, well, what God is speaking into your life. It's the first opportunity to be a public witness filled with the Spirit, even by asking for the Spirit. And so if you've yet to be filled with the Spirit, raise your hand. And, and this is just you asking God. It's not you asking Mike or anybody else, but this is you asking God. And again, as all these times are, these are personal times. I see your hands to my left, and I see your hands throughout the church. Again, if God is leading you in this direction, just ask for him within your heart to do so and allow that outward expression to be the lifting of your hand. If you're in the fellowship area, you can do it out there too. God knows. You can do it tonight when you're by yourself, whenever it might be. You can place your hands down. Father, you've seen these hands that have gone up, and I pray that you would fill, the, fill these men and women with your spirit, God, and you would do great things in them and then through them. And I pray, Father, for those of us who have been filled with your spirit, God, that we would not grow, well, we would not just plug into routine, but we would look continuously for a fresh movement of your spirit. Lord, you're constantly wanting to do a good thing, a new thing, to lead us in different directions. And Father, I just pray that we're open to that leading. And so, Father, I pray that this would not just be a day that we lifted a hand, but truly that we gave of ourselves to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And Lord, that we would not hinder the Spirit, that we would not grieve the Spirit, but Lord, we would just see the power of your Spirit. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness in this place today. I pray for the studies as we continue on that we would honestly make an evaluation of ourselves personally and corporately, make changes where are necessary, but continue to move forward in this year to come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?